Word up, y'all. Welcome to the show with all the words, all the best words. I am your host, Dr. Russell Cobb. The show is Word Salad, broadcast on the mighty, mighty CGSR 88.5 FM in Edmonton, Alberta, Treaty 6 Territory. Now, this show, if you've been listening for the past three or so years, has brought you a plethora of stories about words and expressions, deep dives into the histories, etymologies, usages of words we often just take for granted. We've gone from boomer to gringo to surprise to Gen X and beyond. We have probed the depths of the English language, taken some detours into other languages talked about how other languages have shaped English, how English has reshaped itself. And I've just had basically a blast. I've had a great time bringing you this show. However, all good things must come to an end. And Word Salad, this show, with all the words, all the best words, is going to go on a little hiatus. Don't cry. (laughs) I'm not going anywhere, and I'm happy to announce that I am going to be bringing you a new show, also broadcast on Edmonton's finest independent community-based radio station, 88.5 FM, CJSR, that will bring you stories little understood, misremembered, or totally forgotten histories. I'm really excited about it, folks, but this is a labor of love. I can't do two radio, st- two radio shows. I think that people in my house would kill me. Anyway, I'm really excited about bringing you this new show uh, to, be det- to be titled later, uh, but I would love to hear from you if you know of a story based in history that you have an intimate knowledge of that is either misremembered by the general public or has been forgotten by mainstream history, please get in touch with me. My email address is cobrussell at gmail.com. And uh, please stay tuned for further developments here on CJSR as I continue to pilot this show. You can also follow me on Twitter my handle is scissor tail. That's a uh, scissors like scissor, like the thing that you cut with and tail as in the thing that animals often have on their back ends. 74 scissor tail seven, four that's on Twitter. That's me. I will be bringing you updates about the new show and maybe some greatest hits from Word Salad. Speaking of that, today I am going to bring you some of the greatest moments of the show. We've got about three and a half years worth of archival material to dig into, and even though I've done lots of lots of shows with lots of different people and lots of different words all over the map, there's been a few moments that have just really stuck out, and that I would love to just cobble together in like one of those like beautiful little highlight reels like they do. Sometimes they're cheesy, you know, when you do, you know how they used to do those retrospectives on TV shows 
where you sort of look back and you remember all those warm and funny moments that you that you uh, that they experienced. I was seemed like a, a stock feature of a 1980s sitcom. Well, I'm going to do that today. Uh, maybe it'll be just a little schlocky, a little cheesy, but I hope you will enjoy it, and hopefully it'll be a little educational too. Like you'll get to. Um, review some of the more surprising words and I, some of the surprising moments that really kind of blew me away. Um, so, yeah, that's what we're going to do. Um, a special shout out to all the people that uh, really brought this show to life and nurtured it over the years, especially Chris Chenyan Phillips, who is a uh, has become a good friend of mine and I really appreciate everything he's done help nurture the show give it some direction and following in his footsteps in his very in a very apt manner is Megan Miller the current news coordinator of CGSR also just a wonderful person who has helped shape the show and former co-hosts Jarrett Mansell who has moved on to the career of the law and making almost as much money as a lawyer as he did um, host co-hosting word salad haha <laughs> zero um, and Diana Chiang Jurado who is a really a naturally gifted radio host editor funny intelligent warm really uh, uh, also has moved on I believe, if not, is not in Germany, will be in Germany soon when this whole coronavirus thing is over. And my latest and most frequent guest visitor, Apollonia Pina. Hi, Russell. Thank Hi. you for having me here. And uh, yeah, um, Diana. That's my name, Chiang Jurado, my two last names, because as Hispanics, we have two last names. So, yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> so Deanna is here with me today as we're talking about different words for foreigner. And we're trying to puzzle over this mystery. One of our mysteries, of course, was Yuma. And we'll, we'll actually go back to Yuma a little bit. But our other, our other mystery today on Word Salad is the word gringo. Uh, where does gringo come from? Who's a gringo? Is gringo a good thing, a bad thing? Is it neutral? And so I thought, who better to help us work our way through the mystery of gringo and all things gringoness than someone from Latin America who has experience with gringos um, as opposed to your host who is a gringo? A gringo. <laughs> <laughs> gringo, that's right. Where's the first time? Can you remember the first time you heard the word gringo? Oh, that's a tough one. I probably, so, well, I grew up studying in a bilingual school. And actually, my principal from elementary school, she was a gringo. Um, her name well, was gringa. a gringa. Yeah, <laughs> you're right. <laughs> uh, her name was Tracy. And um, probably around those times when I was like six or something, or even younger, because my cousin, she's married to a gringo, too, and she lives in New Jersey. So um, I, I have a gringo cousin, a gringa cousin, too. Mm -hmm. So yeah. So you're related to gringos? Yeah, okay. I am. <laughs> so in, in Ecuador, when you say someone is a gringo, yeah. what, is, what does that mean? Well, I have the Ecuadorian perspective definition of a gringo and my own. 
So, oh, okay. so for Ecuadorians, anything who's any person who speaks English and who's white is a gringo. Okay. So, from the Ecuadorian perspective, you have to be white and you have to speak English. Yes, because okay. because right. if you speak German, even though you're white or you you have blue eyes or blonde, they wouldn't call you a gringo. What would they call a person? Uh, just a German, European okay. German person. Okay. Yeah. All right. And you have your own definition of gringo then. It's so, different from the Ecuadorian. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, um, so there was one time that it was just like, okay, so I keep hearing this word gringo all the time. So I decided to Google it mm -hmm. to see uh, where did this word comes from. And I, I was telling you before we started recording that I just Google it and it, it was related to when the Mexicans has the, had this um, – war between with the United States, they just said, because uh, the people from the U.S. were dressed uh, green as military, right? And they just knew the word go, for Mexicans would say green go, right? So there goes the green. And that's supposedly where that word comes from. That's one story I know. Right, right. So to me, honestly, I don't call gringo anybody that is not uh, that is, I only call gringo people from the United States, uh -huh. even okay. if they're black. Okay. Oh, yeah. yes? You yeah. call you call an African-American a gringo? Y to me, uh, it is okay. like that, because okay. to me, gringo, it's only for people who speak English and are from the United States. Okay, okay. So that yeah. have you encountered other people who, who share that definition? Uh, some of my friends, some of my friends do. Where are they from? Uh, they're from Ecuador, too. Okay. But right. like, um, depends. I guess it depends on your social class too. Yeah. Because people uh, from lower social economical status, they will call gringo everybody, anybody who speaks English and it's white. Is a gringo. It's a gringo. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So I've got my own story. I gotta okay. tell you. Okay. <laughs> so I also have heard the word gringo forever, and it's been around for for centuries. Actually, the word gringo is not in any way modern. It's been around for. Um, uh, there's the the first recordings of the word gringo go all the way back to the 17th century. Oh, that's quite a Isn't lot. that crazy? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so, but my own, uh, I got my own story about being a gringo, and it happened in in Buenos Aires, um, which is a very European-looking um, city. And I was living there, and randomly, one day I was waiting on a bus and waiting and waiting for this bus that was never coming, and... Um, someone started talking to me and I think we were just killing time. And I, I said something a bit clearly I had an accent when I was speaking in Spanish and they said, Oh, are, are you a gringo? And I said, <laughs> no, because no one wants to be a gringo. It sounds from the, from the perspective of, of someone who is uh, American and I'm uh, American. Well, I'm American Canadian. I consider myself, I'm born in the United States, but, been living in Canada for a long time. But anyway, I digress. Uh, I didn't want to be a gringo. And so she said, well, then are you uh, Latino? And I said, no. And she said, but well, look at you. You look Latino. Like, you must be Latino. And I said, no. And she said, well, you're either gringo or Latino. And I, didn't and I was like, well, I'm not either of those things. I don't believe in those things. I'm just who I am. And... Um, <laughs> we got like, in the, we got in this fight about it because she was like, "Well, you're you're not from Argentina, so therefore you are a gringo." 
And I went, no, no, gringos have to be this certain kind of thing. And I, and I, my mind got hung up on these stereotypes of the gringo. So I picture, when I picture a gringo, I picture this like really large, obnoxious, pasty white American who's just being loud and obnoxious and refusing to speak Spanish and has this, this arrogance about him. And I was like, I don't want to be that person. But it turned out after we kind of went back and forth about this and then finally the bus came and we and we got on the bus and we're still arguing about it on the bus. And other people jumped in and they said, no, 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 you don't understand. Because in Argentina, anyone who is a foreigner is a gringo. So therefore, you actually are a gringo. And I said, mm-hmm. oh, really? Anyone is a foreigner? And they said, yes. And sure enough, I started to see in places in Argentina, throughout Argentina, references to gringos, and they were not Americans at all. In fact, the crazy thing was that a lot of the people who were gringos and actually identified as gringos were actually Italians. Mm. And I went, what is going on here? Because like you, I had heard this story growing up. Well, when I was living in Texas, I heard the story, um, which was a very common story in Texas, that the Texans and Americans who f- went to war with Mexico in the yeah. Mexican-American War were um, wearing green because they were soldiers, mm-hmm. and the Mexicans were pointing at them and saying, green, like the color green, the yeah. fatigues, go, like go home, gringo, go home. And um, I thought that this is totally bizarre that you'd have that kind of gringo, and then you'd have Argentina where they're mainly calling Italians gringos. So I looked, I looked it up as well, and then I heard another story. Listen to this story. Okay. So the other story that I heard was that it actually does go back, the origin of the word does go back to the 1840s with the Mexican-American War. But back then in the 1840s, soldiers weren't wearing green. They were wearing these fancy outfits. They were often red, white, red, white, and blue. Um, but... They were singing a po- the most popular song at the time was a song "Green Grow the Lilacs." Oh, I haven't that, heard that. That song. was the name of the song, and it was like a pop song at the time. And so, as the American soldiers were marching and they invaded Mexico and they went all the way to Mexico City, people would hear them singing "Green Grow the Lilacs." So they heard "Green Grow, Gringo, Gringo," and they started calling them gringos. Green grow the lilacs. I'm lonely, my darling, since I'm parting with you. By the next meeting, I'll hope to prove true and change the green lilacs to the red, white, and blue. That's the first time I hear that story. <laughs> I know. I me too. I thought, well, that's wonderful. So. That's Green Grow the Lilacs, which in fact was a popular song at the time. But the thing gets even weirder, <laughs> and even the mystery deepens, because in the some of the historical dictionaries that mm-hmm. I found of the Spanish language, they the the word gringo even predates the Mexican American War. It even predates the United States as a country. It goes back to the 16th century. In Spain, that's the first mention we have of gringo. And the Spaniards were calling people gringos back in the 16th, 17th century. 
So why would, I mean, why would, where does that come from? I, I don't know. Like, <laughs> I, I, I am surprised. Well, like, I didn't know. Here's, here's a clue. Here's a clue, I think. Um, in English, here's, it's, it could be a coincidence. In English, we have this phrase. Have you ever heard this when people say something and you can't understand it? They say, it's all Greek to me. Well, we have we have a similar in Spanish, you but do? we don't okay. say Greek. What do you say? We we we, we say uh, that sounds Chinese to me. Oh, Chinese. Yeah. Really. Yeah. Apparently, they they used to in Spain instead of saying Chinese, they said Greek. Oh. Hablar griego. And griego. one of the so another okay. competing definition or or story is that Greeks actually did come to Spain. Right, because the Mediterranean, they would show up, and the Spaniards had no idea what they were saying. Unlike, for example, the Italians or the Portuguese, where they could kind of make out what they were saying because it's Romance languages. Mm-hmm. But the Greeks would show up, and they had no idea what they were saying, and they would say, "They speak hablar griego," and that somehow transformed itself from griego into gringo. Oh, and so a gr- and and that particular idea of speaking Greek, griego, somehow worked its way to the new world so that anyone who was speaking a foreign language was speaking Greek, griego, gringo. And then that turned into a person. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah, I never thought of so it. So we've like... got so we've got so we've got like <laughs> all these different definitions, right? Different diff- definitions of what a gringo is. And then we have all these crazy stories of what um of where of where the word gringo comes from. So I don't know if we can resolve it, but um I wanted to ask you so even in it sounds like even in Ecuador, mm-hmm. it depends who a gringo is, right? Like that you would you said you would call um, well um, to me anyone who's from the United States the United States is Canadians a it doesn't matter if it's a white Canadian I personally wouldn't call a Canadian a gringo okay because to me gringos are just people from the US just from the US yeah. That was former Word Salad co-host Yana Chang-Hurado talking about Gringo. And next up, Bismarck Garcia with some interesting Cubanisms. Uh, Bilongo. 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 Okay. Okay. I got to say, you know, I, I'm a Spanish professor. Your, your host here, Dr. Russell Cobb, is a Spanish professor at the <laughs> University of Alberta. And I've traveled widely, but I have never heard bilongo. Yep. Bilongo is basically this word that makes reference to some type of curse. It's a negative word, but at the same time, it could be, it could be used a... In a, in a good sense, let me give you an example. There's a very famous song called La Negra Tomasa. Yeah. It's been interpreted by many, ar- many, mm-hmm. many artists. And 
in that song, part of the lyric says, Esta negra me echó bilongo. Es decir, this is to say, this, this, this black woman basically put a curse on me. But I'm in love with this woman. Uh-huh. It's like, I'm in love. This is a good thing. Estoy tan enamorado de la negra Tomasa Que cuando se va de casa, que triste me pongo Estoy tan enamorado de la negra Tomasa Que cuando se va de casa, que triste me pongo Esa negra linda que me echó bilongo, esa negra linda que me echó bilongo. Now, when you put a bilongo on somebody, can it be for ill or for good, or is it only for ill? It's usually associated with ill. Okay, okay. But I mean, in the context of the song. Yeah. Um, this man is madly in love. Is uh-huh. what he's trying to say. Right. She should have. She put a spell on that. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Did you know there's an old R and B song? Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I put a spell on you. Yeah. Because you're mad. After I that. put a spell on you. Because you're mad. Yeah, Bilongo. Scre- screaming Jay Hawkins wrote that song. <laughs> okay, all right, Bilongo. All right, that one's a good one. How about another one? Um, let's see, Caña, Caña. So the word Caña, as, as as you know, right, it refers to the sugar cane. Yes. Um, but when somebody says, "Oye, eso vale 20 cañas," uh huh, that, that person is saying, "Hey, that costs twenty, the equivalent of twenty dollars or twenty. Oh, really? Yeah. It, it refers to the national currency. The na- the wait the. Uh, the CUC? Both. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Because um, this gets kind of complicated here, yeah. and word salad is about language. It's not about economics. <laughs> 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 but um, there are two uh, monetary systems in Cuba. One is the CUC, which is the convertible peso, That's right. which roughly equals an American dollar. Mm-hmm. And then another one is the national currency, uh, which is probably about one twenty fifth. One twenty fourth. Yep, yep. One twenty fourth of a dollar. Yep. Um, <clears throat> once for tourists, once for uh, the locals. But the caña can be either one. Yeah. So it's just um, it's basically a monetary unit. That's what it counts for. A so, monetary unit. Yeah. Okay. So it can be anything. It can be euros. It can be. It depends what dollars. It could be whatever. Yeah. It, huh, just, it just depends on the context. That's right. That's really interesting. Are there okay? So d- there's other um, slang for for monetary units in Spanish. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wonder if it is, let's see how they compare. So we, a caña is a is a is a sugar cane. Yeah. Um, there uh, in mangos. Have you heard of mangos? I haven't heard that one. Yeah. In in Argentina, they actually refer to a, a like a, a unit of currency as a mango. Oh. Um, barros. No. No. Yeah. No. Another one. What what else? You know, in Puerto Rico, uh, and and a lot of New Yorkers uh-huh. use the, the word chavito, a chavo. No hay What's chavos. That? It, it refers to the same thing. It's like a monetary unit, but chavito uh-huh. is is an interesting word because in Mexico, for it's, example, that's a boy. It's, it's a, a guy. Boy. It's a guy. Yeah. But chavito, I have not been able to find at least where it comes from. 
like the word I've mm. I've looked. They use it in Cuba as well, which is interesting. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. But I, uh, w- from what I've read, I haven't been able to come across somebody who says, "Well, the origin of the word kind of comes from or stems mm. from." So chavito would be ooh linguistic mystery. That's yeah. what we like on word salad. <laughs> we love we love mysteries. <laughs> so let's get back to some more cubanismos here with my guest Bismarck Garcia, an MA student and all around. Um, scholar of all things Cuban, Cuban music, Cuban culture, and we're talking Cubanisms with him. He's given us a few. He's given some uh, some curses, some spirits, some some money. And what else do you have for us, Bismarck? Well, Russell, let's talk about the academic uh, atmosphere, if you will, okay. and that, that surrounding. And there's, right. a, there's a term that goes around in Cuba for people who are quite intelligent, Okay, and that is filtro. Tu eres un filtro, chico. Really? Yeah, you, you, you have, the, the word translates literally to filter, filtro. Yeah, yeah. And that basically re- refers to a person who is quite intelligent, that's able to take everything that's thrown at them. Is that right? Yeah, and kind of just digest it in, in a ridiculous manner that they're able to understand everything and just, they just exceed the limits of, or exceed the expectations. Really? Yeah. Where, do you remember where you first heard that? Where I first heard it, it was uh, through a friend of mine. And actually, I had finished a presentation at the University of Oriente. Uh-huh. And so he's like, Oye, chico. Eh, basically, he said, you, you killed it. He's like, Tu eres un filtro. <laughs> I'm like, okay. Wow, you got called a, a, a filtro. filtro. I, I got, oh, yeah, you got I called got, a filter where you were like, I don't know, is that a good thing? Is that thing? a good thing? Yeah. Or do you want to be me a, a filter? filter? Yeah. Is that what it is? Come again? <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah, it's a very, very interesting term. Um, huh. Filtro. Huh. Uh, it kind of reminds me of a cipher. Have you ever heard the word cipher? Yes. Yeah, like in rap. Right. Right. So one who's somebody who's really in the zone and mm-hmm. they're freestyling and they're just calling up all these rhymes that are just sort of, they're almost possessed. Okay. They, they're in the cipher. Yep. It sounds like the filtro. El filtro. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And that was my guest, Bismarck Garcia, talking about Cubanismos. This is Word Salad on CJSR 88.5 FM from Treaty 6 Territory in Edmonton, Alberta. Thank you for listening. Let's continue. It's the Greatest Hits Edition. I'm on the the phone the other day, and I'm talking to the Syrian guy, Syed. And uh, it's really hard to really say anything. So we get together, and Syed is a refugee. Uh, he came over to resettle in Edmonton a few months ago. And my family, along with a few other families, we sponsored him. And, you know, they came from a war zone. They lived in refugee camps, and now they're here. And the biggest challenge we've had is actually language. They don't speak English, and I don't speak Arabic. And even our hand gestures often don't correspond. They do movements with their hands that I don't know how to read them. So anyway, the other day, Syed is telling me he really wants to go to the gym. And I I can figure that out because he's doing this thing with his arms, pumping them up and down. That's got to be lifting weights, right? Got to be. So I say, yeah, sure, we can do that. Let's go to the gym. And we use Google Translate all the time. We're often just sitting there with a phone, tapping things in. And having this weird voice come talk to us. A voice that sounds a little bit like this. You are listening to Word Salad on CJSR with Dr. Russell Cobb. 
He brings you all the words, all the best words. Yeah, I know. Weird, right? Um, but it's ironic because in my job, my bread and butter job that pays the bills as a Spanish professor, I'm constantly telling students, do not use Google Translate. For the love of God, don't do it. And here I am, Syed and I are talking about lifting weights and I take him to the gym and he's there. He's, he's pumping iron. This guy was in a refugee camp just a few weeks ago and here he is, he's, he's strong. He's like, he's like doing those lateral presses. He's like lifting way more than I could ever lift. He's really strong. Anyway, we, we, we're, we're driving back to his place afterwards and he, he wants to tell me something. So I, so I pull over and we whip out the phones again and he's looking pretty serious about it. He types something in Arabic and he hits translate. And uh, it sounds like this. One day we will go to the seashore with my love. And uh, so I look at him and um, here's this muscular guy with this black beard. And and uh, he's looking at me and he's he's looking in expectation. Like, what what do I think? What do I, you know, like what, what, what? So I say, um, <laughs> can you can you repeat that? And so, yeah. One day we will go to the seashore with my love. Uh, you you, you want to go to the sea? No, no. He shakes his head. No, 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 no sea. Okay, you're in you're in love. You're in love. No, 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 no. He's not in love. He's he's just happy he got to go to the gym. That's it. He just he just wants to say thanks, thanks. I I don't I have no idea what happened there, but. Here's the thing is Google Translate, you, you, can, you can elevate them to an art form. Here's a little thing um, that uh, Idris Elba, the actor, did on The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon a while back where they uh, – Fallon takes uh, popular songs, translates them in, into one language, then just translates them back into English. So it's, it's a sort of a mechanical operation. I don't know what language they're translating into, but we're getting the fact, we're getting the actual lyrics translated from English into the target language. Then we cut and paste that same phrase, same song, and get it back into English, and we get something a little bit like this. I think you'll know the song. A Baby Got Back by Sir Mix-a-Lot. <laughs> translated, it is called... The baby escaped. <laughs> okay. Roots. Check one, check one. Uh, uh. Okay, okay. I love large chapters, that is the truth. A few of your siblings are here. That woman showed up, had a hot small head to a sleeper around your head. You stole seeds. Wanna carry too hard, did you feel that something was filled? It cost you a deeper in depth. I'm fascinated while I observe. Hello, give on a photograph. With a serious sword at which that house never came discouraging. But your sapphires was horrible. That's male friends. Male friends. Did you meet your wife's back? Yes, we encourage it. We encourage it. Helping encourage you with that baby escape. I, I, I mean, that was did anyone understand anything I said? No, yeah, that's the fun of it. You are listening to the mighty, mighty CJSR 88.5 FM. The show's word salad. So the other day, I'm biking home across the high-level bridge. I'm coming up this hill, 
and I step on the bike and I'm, I'm gonna give it some extra torque and bang, some part of the bike just, just breaks. It falls off and the chain comes off. Fortunately though, there's this bike shop across the street and it's open. So I walk the bike in there and voila, there's an actual bike mechanic. He's, he's right there, he's ready to solve all my problems. He puts my bike on a stand and he points to some metal piece near the rear wheel. And it's a vital piece. It's connected to this gear shifting operation. It's very complicated. I don't even know what's going on. This guy, he says, it's broken. This guy. This guy. The guy in question is some metal piece. I don't, I don't remember what it's called. That's not my forte. I'm not, I'm not a gearhead. I'm not one of those dudes that can get in there and tinker. My thing is language. It's what I obsess over. It's what I get really distracted about. So I'm not really paying attention to the metal piece anymore. I'm fixated on this use of guy. And I'm sure you've heard this before. Probably not more than five years ago, though. It's a recent linguistic turn in which the word guy becomes a synonym for thing. You need to replace this guy here, some, some tradesperson will say. Ah, oh, see, your problem is this guy right here. You got to take this guy out. So what is happening to guy? Where did guy come from anyway? And how did it become so ubiquitous? So today we're going to wade into the gendering of language. Is guy changing genders and how so? It's all on word salad, a place that escapes the prison house of language to bring you all the words, all the best words. That was This Guy's In Love With You, written by the inimitable Burt Bacharach and performed by the ultra-loungy and totally cheesy Herb Alpert and the Tijuana Brass. Now, when Bacharach wrote that tune in 1968, the world was engulfed in revolution. There were protests everywhere. There was blood in the streets. There were students calling for a Marxist revolution, a Maoist revolution. There were invasions of countries. There was, the world was in, in, up in flames. It was a huge, huge uh, shift. But Guy, actually Guy, the gender of Guy, that was unquestioned. There were guys, males, and gals. Those were females. Now, however, we're not so sure. Now, before we get to the contemporary fight over guys, I think we need to look at where it came from. You any guesses out there? Any, anybody know? Um, guy, 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 guy. Maybe the French guy? Um, I don't know. What do you think? Well, our first guy, as it turns out, was either a freedom fighter or a terrorist. By the way, did you know that Word Salad did a show on that very issue? Freedom fighter versus terrorist. Who's a terrorist? What is terrorism? Well, anyway, that was, that was, that's, we're not going to get into that. You can go look that up on your own time. Anyway. Back in 1605. We're going to go back to 1605. It's actually not that long ago. In fact, uh, a lot of historians call it the early modern period. So it's the early modern period. 1605. A small group of guys. Okay, okay. 
guys. Okay, men, let's call them that. A small group of men plan to blow up the British Parliament and kill the king. We're talking, of course, about Guy Fox. Now, Fox actually went by the name Guido. Yeah, Guido, the Italian word for Guy. But we don't call a group of people Guidos. Actually, we should not. And if, if you do, don't do it. It's not good. Okay, so anyway, Guy Fox. You probably know him from the mask, right? From V for Vendetta or the anonymous masks. That's a Guy Fox mask. But how do we get from there to you guys? As in, hey, you guys. OED, that's the Oxford English Dictionary, which charts different usages of words and how they evolve over time, says that by the 19th century, a guy had moved from being a representation of Guy Fawkes. So a guy was just the representation of Guy Fawkes, like the Guy Fawkes mask, like that you saw on V for Vendetta, or the anonymous uh, protesters. And it moves from being that a villain, to a use to be a, describe a word that is, quote, in grotesquely ragged and ill-assorted garments. Yes, I'll repeat that again. A person in grotesquely ragged and ill-assorted garments. Maybe I should say that in a British accent. Anyway, I'm going to go on. I'll, I will, I will uh, complete the definition. A person of grotesque appearance, especially with reference to dress a fright. So someone who's kind of scary looking. But the thing is, that's just the early part of the 19th century. So we got people that are guys and they're kind of scary looking. For example, 1836. All these gentlemen, all these gentlemen here are rigged, tropical, grisly guys. Some of them turn out. He was such an old guy in this dress. It was like these uh, just raggedly dressed sort of frightful-looking people. And that's what guys were. Um, the Daily Telegraph in 1880 complained that there were way too many sculptured guys in this metropolis, being London, I guess. Too many guys, too many, too many people dressed in not appropriate uh, clothing. So I coached these eight-year-olds in soccer. Boys and girls. It was a mixed, mixed uh, uh, group. In fact, even numbers, equal boys and girls. And yeah, I often found myself yelling, "Come on, you guys! You guys are doing great. You guys get back on defense. You guys, you guys played so great. I'm so proud of you guys." Now, of course, when I said that, well. Let me just admit that I didn't feel totally comfortable with it. Something felt a little weird calling a mixed crowd of boys and girls guys. It, it made me a little unsettled. But guess what? The way I would really like to do it, the way I was brought up to do it, would be, hey, y'all, y'all are doing great. But that is not really the common thing in Canada. I mean, in Oklahoma, where I grew up, that was very common. Uh, no one would think twice about it. But here, I feel like it would get me marked. It's kind of not quite a little on the outside. Anyway, getting away from it. So, obviously, when I'm talking about these lovely children, I'm not calling them guys in the Victorian British sense as being thieves or hustlers or petty criminals or even Catholic terrorists like Guy Fawkes. They were just guys. They're just, just people, just, just folks. You know, just... Uh, Regular old people, regular young people. 
So the OED, unfortunately, isn't, isn't really helpful here to understand how we got from uh, this guy as being an emblem of the lowlife. We can get – it gets us from Guy Fawkes to the guy being a lowlife. But the American guy or the North American guy, the Canadian guy, that's a whole other story. Now, before we get to how the Americas reinvented Guy, I think we need a musical interlude. And this one's by Donny Hathaway. So you can find this song uh, recorded by lots of people. John Lennon did a version. The folk singer Elliot Smith did a version. But Donny, man, Donny is just one of the most soulful singers of all time. And I just love his gospel-tinged R&B. Um, you're not going to hear, you don't really hear Donny Hathaway on your oldie station or your classic rock station. He's way too funky for that. So we need more Donny Hathaway in our lives. And so here Donny Hathaway is in 1972 singing Jealous Guy. to Word Salad from 88.5 FM CJSR the, in the wild, wild north of Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. Every month, Word Salad brings you all the words, all the best words. We ask whether we speak language or whether language speaks us. This month, I am very happy to announce that we have a special guest talking about funny words. And so we're not going to talk about one particular word, but rather a series of words what makes a word funny? What even is funny? What's the difference between funny and humorous? We're going to get into this. It's going to be an interesting uh, segment. My guest today is Chris Westbury, who is a professor of psychology. You know, boobies, for example, mildly profane word that you can say on the radio. We definitely, can say boobies. Def- I think we can say boobies. Definitely funny. Do you have them classified on a spectrum of like I do. I do. most funny to least funny? I do. That's what I have right, oh, here, this right is here gonna my be computer. In- so. Oh, this is going to be super interesting. <laughs> the word that came out the highest, and actually it's surprisingly separate, and I only noticed that this morning, but it's quite a bit funnier than the next word. Uh, 0.3 standard deviations, which is a fair, fair effect size, is slobbering. You know, I don't know if you agree with that or not, but that's the funniest word by, was, by our estimates. That's by the computer estimates, by the way. That's not by the human estimates. This, this is the extrapolated model. So what we did oh. is we took the, the human judgments and then we modeled them. And then we extrapolated that model to the full dictionary. Well, to forty-five thousand words, almost a full dictionary. Oh, I see. So you're so that so the base is is the the Warwick study that has like the five thousand words, and then you what did you pull out? The different elements exactly. that, that you find, and then and then you extrapolate those elements yes. to make generalizations about the 
so, tens of thousands of words. Yeah, so we built models that were based on, on the characteristics of the words. We can talk about what those characteristics uh-huh, right. were. Since all of those characteristics are well-defined, all, uh-huh. all the words, that almost all the words that we have looked at, uh, have them. Some of them we didn't have. We could extrapolate to uh, 45,000 words. So once we had them, we, w- we went beyond what the uh, original norms had done. So what are the elements of a word that makes a word funny. Yeah, that's really the heart of the paper. We we to to really for expository purposes, we broke it up into two groups. One of the groups was the least surprising part that some words are funny because of their meaning. I don't think anyone would be surprised by that, right? So words that refer to uh, profane things are funny. Words that refer to sex are funny. Words that refer to um, bodily functions are funny. Oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have two. I have two little boys. Oh, do you? Okay. This this is, how old is, are they? This, uh, they're uh, nine and four. Yeah. So yeah, I guess they're so at poop, least the older ones. Just poop, yeah, all poop the time. and fart, and they probably find hilarious, hilarious. in itself. Yeah, hilarious. In, in the paper, we actually introduced that. Uh, that mm-hmm. we introduced the idea of a single word being funny by talking about eight-year-old boys who find the word fart funny. Right? They say fart, and they all crack up. Right. Yeah. So, so because of, because of not and and you're saying that part of it is because of the actual meaning of the word. Exactly. But that's not everything. We can quantify that. We have a computational model of, of semantics, and we quantified uh, how similar a word was to each of six funny categories, and they were sex, uh, bodily functions, what I called party or good times, um, animal sounds, and uh, two others that I would have to look up to. <laughs> just, just, just saying these things it's just funny. makes you, brings a smile to your face. Yeah. Well, the interesting <laughs> thing about it, the, the, I mean, mm-hmm. it's not surprising that um, funny, some meanings are funny. But the interesting thing about it is it turned out to be the average distance from all six of those categories that was the best predictor. And that's interesting because it means that there's kind of like a way of thinking about words that classifies them on one dimension of funniness because we end up really with one major uh, predictor, which is the average distance from each of these six distances. And that that single predictor is a very good predictor of whether people are going to find the word funny or not. And it's not really about which category it belongs to. And one of the reasons for that is lots of words belong to uh, more than one category. Lots of uh, words having to do with uh, sex are also have to do with bodily functions and are also insult words, for example, which is one of the categories I forgot a minute ago. What what would you you say? Insult words. People find find words Uh they use for insulting to be Uh funny. Uh Is 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 there a word that combines all six of those? Well, there was four words uh-huh. that, that appeared in um, four out of six categories. Okay. Okay. So it says 59 words appeared in at least two, uh, two of the categories, including two words, dude and puke, that appeared in five out of six categories. Those aren't too bad. And seven words, and here come the bad ones. Beep. That had to be the most single, most embarrassing moment. Um, in the history of word salad, when Chris Whisbury was discussing thousands of words in the English lexicon that were considered funny and then just let loose with probably five or six of the most vile languages and I just let the tape roll. Yeah, won't do that again. That appeared in four out of six categories. Okay. And you can see why if you look at that, uh, they do uh-huh. have to do, they're both insulting and they have to do with sex and they have to do with bodily, bodily functions. functions. Right, yeah. right. okay. So. Okay. Whereas uh, dude and puke, they've got uh, partying. Um, probably um, partying and, and uh, bodily functions. Bodily, for bodily puke. Is, I'm not sure about uh, dude. Yeah, dude. Yeah. I'm not sure that was psychology professor Chris Westbury, special guest on Word Salad, talking about funny words. And you're listening to the greatest hits of Word Salad, the show with all the words, all the best words. 
on the mighty, mighty CJSR 88.5 FM in Edmonton. So to finish off some of these interesting moments on the only show dedicated to language, I will bring you a part of an interview that I did recently about quarantine and specifically how we got to the word quarantine and where it comes from. Interview is with Apollonia Pina. So stay tuned. Go ahead. Quarantine. <laughs> tell me about, what can you tell me about quarantine? Okay, so quarantine is kind of a ride, but it's a really fun one. I really love the history of this word. And so in order to understand how we got the word quarantine, we kind of have to go back in time a little bit, a little bit of science history, where we have to go back to mid-14th century Europe. So what was going on in mid-14th century Europe was the bubonic plague, otherwise known as Black Death, and it was just totally decimating Europe. And it was specifically between the years of like 1347 and 1350, that was a really vicious three years in which one-third of Europe's population was just wiped out. And because of that huge wipeout, um, a lot of officials in various European cities realized that they needed to take some sort of direct action. Like, what can we do to stop, stop or at least halt this dying off of our population? And so what one city did, it was a port city um, in what is now known as Croatia, um, city officials passed a law that established Trentino, which is a 30-day period of isolation for ships coming in from plague-affected areas. And so what that meant is that when the ship docked on the shore, no one was allowed to visit um, those ships, that people that were living in that city, and nobody that was on that ship was allowed to leave. And um, if anybody did visit the ship, then that person was immediately put into forced, mandatory 30-day isolation. And so other cities in Europe began adopting these measures, too, to the point to where over the next century, cities extended this isolation period from 30 days to 40 days. And then the terms of this changed from know, which is where we get quarantine. And as I'm sure you're familiar with, three in Italian is tre, and four in Italian is Quattro. Quattro. From this 40-day isolation period, quarantino, quarantine. So why did they go from 30 to 40? Does that extra 10 days make a big difference? I don't know. Um, I don't know what the historical documents say about that. You know, honestly, just kind of thinking offhand, I would almost say that do you think maybe there's like a biblical implication with that Russ? 40 I 40 days and 40 nights 40 days in the wilderness right isn't that the yeah. wilderness time where you go and you and things for the universe to be yes 40 days of lent 
Yeah. 40, yeah, 40 days have this, like, important religious connotation. There, so I really, yeah. I'm just kind of, like, armchair thinking about this. I would almost think, because this is, that was such a scary time, um, people in, you know, the Middle Ages didn't understand what a virus was. And so what are you going to rely on? You're going to rely on your faith and your religion and praying to God. So maybe if they just rounded it up, oh, let's go from 30 to 40. 40. Maybe God will take the honest and quit having us die off by the millions. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Okay. We're going to have to look into the the, the 40 days. It just seems like in the even though the beginning, like the very, very origin of the 40 days in the biblical sense, you got to wonder if that's like the religious belief followed a biological observation or... I'm going to give you 40 days to get back home. I done called up a gypsy woman on the telephone. Okay, so this is your host, Dr. Russell Cobb of the show Word Salad, breaking in here with some research I've just come across. I'm sorry to interrupt my fascinating interview with Apollonia Pena, a friend and frequently frequent collaborator and contributor to Word Salad, but the, you, you got to hear this, people. You just you have to hear this. Now, we know that 40 days is the quarantine, the original quarantine that originated in Venice and that the very word quarantine relates to the quarantina, which is the 40 days. But we were just speculating about whether that 40 days also relates to some of those biblical concepts namely Jesus resisting temptation for 40 days, the 40 days of the flood of Noah of the flood in the book of Genesis. Um, and sure enough, that is a big point of discussion online. Uh, I looked on language log, which is a wonderful website where a bunch of linguists, chime in and present evidence about these sorts of things. Now, some people are convinced that it's not a coincidence at all that the 40 days that appear in the Bible are relate to a concept that the 40 day period was sort of like this period in which, um, life would sort of cycle through. So Christ was fasting in the desert for 40 days. So that was a, a, a period of time. And it was also common to give a widow 40 days to stay in her dead husband's home, even if she was not to inherit the home. 
that that was a standard uh, period of time. 40 days, or the number 40, I should say, was extremely important in a lot of ancient traditions, mystical traditions, namely the Kabbalah in Judaism. 40 is, the word for 40 is mem, M-E-M. And that is a word that also signifies water. So there you start to see it turn back around to the 40 days of the flood. Well, folks, you have been listening to Word Salad, the show with all the words, all the best words on the mighty CJSR 88.5 FM, Edmonton, Alberta, Treaty 6 territory, right in the basement of the Students' Union building. I've had a great time, and I am somewhat sad because uh, Word Salad is going to be on a hiatus, although if you're interested... You, could, you should certainly get in touch with me or anyone at CJSR to talk about bringing it back. We're just going to put it on ice for a while while I bring you a show that seems much more, how shall I say, urgent in the world we live in, covering histories that have been forgotten or covered up, intimate histories, suppressed histories, we're going to call it for now History X. I don't know if that's going to be the actual name. It was supposed to be a placeholder, but I kind of like it. History X. We're going to enlighten you, educate you, inform you, hopefully do so, and put maybe occasionally a smile on your face. And we're going to pay attention to voices outside the mainstream, especially histories that affect people of color. So... I'm excited to get to get cracking on History X. And even though I will now have to say that I will bid you adieu from Word Salad, the show with all the words, all the best words. I have been your host, Dr. Russell Cobb, and you have been listening to the mighty, 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 mighty CGSR 88.5 FM. And until next time, word up.